Before we get into the forgotten saying for this morning, uh, Liam's going to come and uh, he's going to share with us. And uh, I hope by the time we get to the end of our time, there will be, uh, we'll all be able to see why Liam sharing what he's sharing right now helps to put what I'm going to go on and talk about in terms of forgotten sayings into a particular context that I think will really help us this morning uh, and allow God just to push us forward together uh, a little bit. So Liam, if you're still here, yeah, come on in boy. Think, think that was think that was John. That was. I think that was John. He's a mate. He's a mate, isn't he? So I need, Keep a, do I need a hat like yours. You can borrow this one if you want. Oh, maybe. But my hair's a mess under it. <laughs> See the one. Yeah. Morning, church. You all good? Good. Right. Let's get into this. So, as Simon said, I just I've had this written for about eight months, and I've shared it in prison. And I just want to share it with you all to encourage, and then he'll go on to say what he's going to say afterwards. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start from the very beginning. Uh, Genesis 2:15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. You know, we all know that God's sovereign, and he could just, you know, work the land himself. But he specifically says to Adam, I want you to go and work the land. So in theory, he's given him authority to go... I can't keep still, so um, he's given him authority to go and work that land. Um, we know a short while after that, um, the fall happens. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, one sin happened, one disobedience happened um, in the fall in Genesis 3. But what I love about it is immediately afterwards, God says to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So as soon as that one sin happened, one obedience, God loves us so much, he's willing to fill a place that we can get back to that authority, um, and we know that it comes to Jesus, and I believe that's the first prophecy of Jesus in the Bible, coming from Genesis. So now I'll go on to Jesus, and I want to talk a bit about the Great Commission. So in the Great Commission, Jesus says, a couple of, from verse 16 to 20, but I'm going to read 18 to 20. In verse 16, he says that all authority has been given to him on earth and in heaven. And he goes on to say that, um, go and make the souls of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they will be with you to the very end of the age and teach them everything that I've obeyed. So, I just find it astounding how he chooses us, you know, from the one sin we saw in the beginning. Um, he chooses us to, it says also in scripture that um, we're made in his image. Um, knowing that my God, you know, we're made in his image excites me. And I'm sure it excites everybody else. So I'm going to get to the final part of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. Because we know after the Great Commission that Jesus went to heaven. And he said that he was going to leave the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us in what we're going to do as we walk in this faith. That you can find in John 14, verse 15 to 20. And as I get into the last part of this, I just want to, I was thinking about how I could present this in a way that's relevant for me so you could hear. And I call it the, the baton. So if you imagine a race, 
Um, if you imagine a relay race, you know, it's four people and someone holds with the baton. And the whole point of the baton is to go around and pass on to the next person, to the next, and to the next. So what I'm trying to get to the point is, is if I see that God started the baton, um, and sometimes in races, races don't go well. The baton gets dropped. Um, the teamwork they've been training for doesn't quite get to the stage they want it to. And that's a bit like what happened with a sin in Genesis. Uh, we made one mistake, and but God says, no, you're going to keep going. You're going to keep going. You're going to keep passing the baton around. And fortunately for us, the baton's not going to last about 40, 30 to 40 seconds as a relay race does. It's going to go on a lot longer. So... I just want to encourage you that everybody here is part of that race. We all can help each other pass the baton on. Um, I'm just going to finish now with a reading from Revelation 21, uh, verse 4, and it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things have passed. Now, this word, you're going to have to excuse me, this excites me. So, everybody here knows somebody who is going through pain, who has pain itself, there's situations where there's breakup or horrific stuff that happens, but one day Jesus is going to destroy all that and he's going to bring us back and wipe all the tears off our eyes. But until that time comes, I just want to encourage you all for the gifts you all have to carry on walking this race that God has passed the baton on to you so you can go and pass on to other people. And one day there will be no more pain and there will be no more of the old way of things. Everything will be clean. So I've done my part. I hope it's challenged you. The spirit in me is speaking. It's challenged somebody here today and encouraged you to lead on. And I'm going to let Simon do his bit. (laughs) The baton has been passed on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we hold it in our hands and we think, mm, I wish I didn't have this in my hand. It feels a responsibility. It feels a burden. Uh, and Jesus said, oh, uh, my burden is light. But the baton doesn't always feel very light. Uh, and I'm carrying the baton and I'm thinking, I'm not sure I've got enough energy to run. I'm, I'm, I'm crushed by some of the things that Liam was alluding to. This world kind of crushes us and, uh, and, and kind of squeezes the life out of us sometimes. So I've got this baton. I'm feeling responsible. I don't feel I've got the power and the energy uh, to run with it like uh, perhaps I might read about in the book of Acts or other places where people run with the baton. So how do I make sense of it all? How do I make sure I don't just stand holding the baton, feeling pretty guilty and uh, not much use to, to God? And, and it, probably every believer in the, in the house this morning has, has felt guilty and responsible sometimes for not doing what they know they should do. Yeah, and you've got this baton in your hand and you think, I wish no one gave this to me. I don't really want it. It doesn't feel like a joy and a pleasure. Then there are a few evangelists, just a few, who will go, I've got the baton, yeah! And every other Christian just goes, weird, weird. They're, they're weird, they're weird. Liam, he's weird. Julie, she's weird. You know, and, and we weird them out. And actually, we've all got the baton. And how do we make sense of it? So hold that thought just for a moment. Today's saying is this one. Cut it off. That's what Jesus said. He said, cut it off. And just like some gruesome thriller, he's actually talking about body parts. 
These verses appear in several different places in the Gospels. Mark chapter 9, where Graham read from us, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell where the fire never goes out. It's not just hands, but feet and eyes as well. And you can be thankful this morning that we weren't taking our text from uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, where it also appears just after Jesus has talked about adultery. The idea of cutting things off there is a little more personal for some of us indeed. So the potential of having body parts removed is quite realistic in Jesus' language or metaphor, or is it? What is he saying? What is he talking about? And what's it got to do with this baton that's in our hand that we're struggling to run with sometimes because we feel overwhelmed by it? What's Jesus saying? Firstly, I think Jesus is saying in this particular verse, as well as so many others, that sin is subtle. Sin is subtle. You see, this verse would make a lot more sense to me if Jesus said, if your hand causes you to do some really violent, murderous act, then cut it off. And you'd kind of go, "Mm, fair play. That's what your hand is doing. It deserves to be chopped off. Cut it off. But it says, if if your hand causes you to stumble, that's it. I stumbled. It's over. It's as good as forgotten. I won't be going home and saying, guess what, kids? I stumbled today. You stumble all the time and you hardly notice it and you just move on. In fact, the word stumble is a momentary loss of balance. You're recovered almost as quickly as it happens unless you go on to fall. And we distinguish stumbling and stumbling and falling because you say, I stumbled and I fell. If you stumble, well, it's over in a second and you've hardly noticed. You've momentarily lost your balance and then you're back on top and you move on as if nothing has happened. Sin, Jesus is saying, is that subtle. It's like a stumble. You can be so caught up in everything else that you barely notice it at work in your life. Sometimes other people can notice sin in your life. Have you noticed that? Other people are better at spotting the sin in your life than you can spot in your own life. Uh, They see that you stumble, but sometimes we barely notice because we quickly move on and the moment of stumbling is soon forgotten. Sin is that subtle. It's subtle... Because it's like a stumble. You can almost ignore it. You could almost act as if it hasn't happened. You can almost keep going as if nothing has changed. This morning, I want us to think about those subtle sins and the impact that they have on our lives. Now, if you've come to church today and you've got a big, great whopping sin going on, put up your hand. No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, no. (laughs) Because in a sense, we've all got big, great whopping sins going on. If you've got a big whopping sin going on, then God bless you, and, and, and it's maybe today's the day to sort that out. But most of us will come, and we'll think in our sober judgment, I haven't got the big whopping sins going on. I've kind of dealt with them, I've sorted out them, or maybe I've never had a big whopping sin, and I'm quite proud of that. Well, pride is one of those subtle sins, so got you, Yeah? So you've got to be careful, because if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall, it says in the script. So so not necessarily the big whopping ones, but what about the subtle ones 
So sin is subtle. Sin is also selfish. In fact, that's what lies at the heart of everything that sin is, is that it's selfish. And when we live out of self, we live in a place of sin. Paul summed it up brilliantly. He said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In fact, some of you will be familiar with older translations. I no longer live, but Christ. No longer I, but Christ. And if we strip everything away, at its root, at its base, sin is everything that comes out of self. Everything that is I-centered, I-motivated, I-driven, I-obsessed, I-focused is a sin. And suddenly you can see that the tentacles of sin weave their way into every aspect of our lives, can't you? Roy Hessian wrote a powerful little classic, probably in the 60s, called uh, The Calvary Road. Hands up if you've read The Calvary Road. Two of you. Three of you, maybe, in the house. Four, five of you, maybe. And um, it's a book on personal revival. And he writes this. Um, I read, I reread some of it this week, thinking about this morning. Anything that springs from self, however small it may be, is a sin. Self-energy or self-complacency in service is sin. Self-pity in trials or difficulties, self-seeking in business or Christian work, self-indulgence in one's spare time, sensitiveness, toughness, resentment, and self-defense when we are hurt or injured by others, self-consciousness, reserve worry, fear, all spring from self and are all sin. So in a way, at the root of all sin is something that's subtle. We can stumble and move on as if we've hardly noticed it. And it's selfish. Sin is subtle and sin is selfish. But whatever else these verses are teaching us, they must surely be teaching us that sin is serious. Jesus is not half-hearted here about sin and neither is he in so many other places. Because it's subtle and because it's it's so easy for us to gloss over and it's so easy for us to be familiar with it and comfortable with it and to react in certain ways and it's so easy just to assume well that's just the way I am or sometimes we do it don't we that's just the way they are and uh, we kind of excuse sin in our own lives and excuse sin in other people's lives but Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin cut it off Sin is serious because of where it leads. Sin, the Bible says, as uh, uh, Liam was sharing with us earlier, sin leads us to a place outside of God's will and purpose. That makes it deadly serious, wouldn't you agree? And so ultimately, when the Bible talks about hell, it's not some place that someone has created to make it really bad. It's just simply a place where God no longer exists, where his goodness is lost. Sin leads to a place of total abandonment. What's that like? It's awful. And not only is that true ultimately, it's true in our everyday lives, that sin in our lives leads us away from God and his presence. You will know how that works in ordinary relationships. If you have a falling out with someone, it's difficult, isn't it? The relationship isn't so close anymore. You have to work through it and work to a new place. 
The wrong between you gets between you. You can't ignore it and overlook it. Well, you can, but only to the detriment of the relationship. So when we stumble and move on, we're effectively ignoring what's wrong in our lives. And what suffers ultimately is our relationship with God. Because it leads us ever so subtly sometimes away from him. Sin is also serious because of what it does. It might be ever so subtle in our lives, but the root sin of selfishness allowed to grow and develop is what put Jesus on a cross. Think about the reality of sin for a moment. It's the same sin at work in your life and mine that's been at work in all of humanity. What did that sin do? When Jesus, who is perfect in every way, when Jesus, who is love personified, when Jesus, who only wants the best for our lives, came to this earth, what did we do? We strung him up and killed him in the most cruelest way possible. That's what sin does. That's how ugly and serious the sin, the root sin in your life and mine actually is. And so Jesus very cleverly, you think it's just about stumbling, you think it's nothing, you can just move on as if nothing has happened. But it's so serious that it would actually be better for you if you chopped off your hand rather than stumbled in that way. Because of where sin leads and because of what it does. One really helpful description, or I found helpful, of, of sin uh, was illustrated from the space shuttle disaster. Can you remember, um, I, can't, I can't remember when it was, um, but when the space shuttle went up and exploded in midair while everyone watched it. Some of you old enough to remember that. Or you were all younger than me in the room. Some of you remember that. And the, the horror of it, the horror of what happened in front of everybody's eyes. And everyone wanted an answer. What on earth could cause something so tragic to happen? How do we end up with a disaster like that? It was just a little O-ring on the space shuttle that malfunctioned. A tiny little part. In a sense, it was just a teeny weeny little stumble. But it led to something absolutely devastating. Jesus says sin is like something just so small. You'd hardly notice it. You'll stumble and you'll move on. And before you leave church this morning, you'll have stumbled in a thousand ways if you're like me. And you'll just move on just into another day. Jesus says, no, you've got to alert yourself to what's going on in your life. That sin that you can move on for so easily is so serious that it leads to catastrophic results. And what's all that got to do with what Liam was sharing and this baton that we're holding in our hands is this. Sin stops his power and his authority being unleashed in our lives. Sin stops that power and that authority. So I'm holding the baton and I'm thinking, where is the power? I'm holding the baton and I think, I'm supposed to have authority, but I feel so weak and so pathetic and so useless. Where is the Holy Spirit that he's promised to pour out on me? I don't feel it. I'm not full with it. Sin stops his power. Two images that I find really helpful. Clear glass of water. We, we'd only need to drop 
put just a tiny drop of something in that glass for the whole glass to glow cloudy. And if I was to hold up a cloudy, and if I was a children's worker or something, I would have come with one prepared earlier, but I'm not and I didn't. Uh, So you have to use your imagination. So I'm holding up two glasses now. One's clear and one's cloudy. But we all know just a tie, nothing, a little O-ring, a little stumble, a little nothing. But actually it's no longer clear. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is quenched. Because it's no longer clear. Who does the hoovering in your house? Me. That was said with a certain amount of venom. The root of bitterness and anger is alive and well in all the hooverers around the... We say hoovering, don't we? But hoover is a company. So what's your vacuum cleaning? Is that the right word? Bagless vacuum cleaning. Sometimes I do the hoovering. Thank you very much. Just sometimes. And sometimes, you know, when we add a new vacuum cleaner... And, and I should have brought it, as a, and perhaps I would have if I was a children's worker, but I'm not, so I didn't. And, and, and it, you're pushing it along. And, and it was amazing. It was showing how rubbish the previous one was, because it was like gripping to the carpet. I thought it was going to pull the floorboards up. My arm was aching from doing it over, and I thought, this can't, be, this can't be right. The suction really powerful. But then after a period of time, that suction gets a bit less, doesn't it? And then sometimes you turn it on, and it's just sucking nothing up. And you're going, nothing. So you take it all apart... And make way more mess on the carpet than there ever was that you were trying to clear up. And you discover that something was in the hoover. Pencil. Rubber. Guinea pig. Something's in there, isn't it? You know, just clogging it all up. And you go, you throw it away and you realise what was clogging it up. Easy. Other times it's a lot more subtle. See the link? Thank you, Kat. You, you, You... the suction's all gone, and you're expecting to find the guinea pig, the pencil, the whatever it is, the golf ball that you've sucked up, TV, whatever you get into it as you hoover around the place. And there's nothing there except around the kind of bends is what I can only describe as crud gathers. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Oh, you have crud in your house too, you dirty people. Crud in the house. But it's all there in the cut. It, it just gathers in the bend, and eventually over time, there's a blockage. You say, well, what was blocking it? And, and to be truthful, you'd go, nothing really. Just a little load of nothing. There is a little load of nothing that blocks the power flowing through my life. There is a little load of nothing, little load of stumbling, little load of almost too incidental, I'm so comfortable with it, I rarely notice, blocking the power being unleashed in your life too. A couple of years ago, exactly the same thing happened with the air conditioning in the car. wasn't working at all. What was wrong? Broken? No, no, no. Just the filter was clogged up. What with? Nothing. Just air, really, and bits in the air. Nothing but clogged up, nevertheless. So, We need, as Jesus says, to take evasive action, like chop off your hand. Or if it's your foot, chop off your foot. Or if it's your eye, chop off your eye. We need to cut out the things in our lives that cause the crud to build up. That cause the little stumblings that we might think are too incidental to worry about that make an impact in our lives. Bitterness 
that causes us to sin. We need to dig out the root. Anger that causes us to sin. We need to dig out the root. Places we go, people we meet, things we watch. We need to cut these things out of our lives, Jesus says. But maybe that's not the main point he was making. You see, Jesus, when he says something, he says it on so many different levels. He's a totally brilliant storyteller and communicator. One of the most fantastic things about heaven will be Jesus tell us another story because it works in so many ways on such rich levels. What is Jesus really saying here? Is he saying, cut off your hand? Well, I haven't been to a church yet that's practiced that. But we could introduce it. We would need a church meeting decision. Couldn't possibly make that decision by myself. Um, all those in favour of chopping off heads. Uh, maybe he's saying something deeper and maybe even more challenging than the slicing off your limbs. You see, whatever else the Bible teaches us, it teaches us that we are not saved by chopping off, by severing limbs. We are not saved by the death of animals, sacrifices in the Old Testament. We're only saved by Jesus, which is what Liam was telling us about. The curse right at the beginning. Jesus was the answer, and God promised Jesus there right at the the beginning. So is Jesus really saying that I might be on my way to hell if I was to sin with this hand, but if I chop it off, then I'll be sorted. I can merrily go on my way with one hand. But there is a fatal flaw, isn't there? If I do something wrong with this hand, what am I likely to do the next day with this one? How dare you say I'll do something wrong? But you're absolutely right. I'll do the same. Or if I do something wrong with this foot, what am I likely to do with this one? So after about three minutes, I'll be rolling my way towards the end of my life. Why? Because sin is not rooted in my hand or my feet or my eyes, sin is rooted in my heart. So what's Jesus saying? Is he really saying that I can chop off a body part and still make it into heaven? No. He's making a mockery of the whole thing. What Jesus is saying is that whatever you think you can do, you cannot possibly save yourself. You are in it up to your neck in sin... And you cannot save yourself. Start chopping off body parts if you want. But it's a joke. You'll be chopping off your head before you know it. Because the moment that you think something, then your head will need to go. Hands up if you've ever thought something that was less than pure and godly. All of us. So our heads have gone before we leave the room. Jesus said, look, it's a joke. Realize That there is nothing you can do to save yourself. What Jesus is saying is that sin requires a saviour. Sin requires a saviour. If you want the power and authority to flow through your life so that the baton that you have in your hand seems possible 
seems realistic, seems like you can actually do something with it and pass it on, if that's what you want, then you need the Savior to deal with the sin that you might turn a blind eye to because it's just a little stumble, but in kingdom terms is so serious because it separates you from God as you journey through this life. And sin unchecked leads to the horror of the crucifixion on the cross in our world today, you need that sin dealt with. You see, the Holy Spirit will fill clean cups, clean lives, clean vessels. But if it's full of crud, if the tubes are all blocked in your life, then it's not going to go anywhere. And we need a saviour. It's no good with the baton in your hand saying, I'm going to try harder next week. I'm going to work at it a bit more. Because you will stumble. Because we all stumble. Search me, O God, said David, and see. And see if there is any offensive way in me. Become so comfortable with the crud, so comfortable with the stumbling, that we barely notice it anymore and perhaps don't even notice it at all. Not only do I need Jesus to deal with the sin in my life, I actually need him to tell me what it is. Can you hear that? I actually need him to tell me what it is. That's how blind I am. That's how blind you are. Isn't that the truth, really? So comfortable. So comfortable. And so David would cry out to God, who was himself, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. He would cry out to God. He says, search me and know me. Help me know myself, because I can't even see anymore. And, and sin is so much a part of me. I'm stumbling, but I'm just moving on like it's nothing. And I know intellectually that it's not, and I know I need to deal with it, but I can't even see what it is. Search me and know me. And then there's a tremendous promise. That if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us. How cool is that? Absolutely every single one of us needs the forgiveness of God. Because ultimately, however much you have sinned against someone else, ultimately everything is against God. We might weep at night because of the pain that we've caused someone else. That is but a a miniature compared to the pain that we've caused God. For those people are his children made in his image. We all need his forgiveness. But hey, that's not enough. I can be forgiven but still full of a load of crud. Because it's there. I've created it. I've made it. It's part of my life. It's part of my sinfulness. It's part of your life too. It doesn't just say that. Forgive and cleanse. I'll clean out. Back to the vacuum cleaner image. (coughs) Excuse me. The pipes of our lives. I'll clean out the crud. I'll remove it from your life that you can stand even this morning before God as an open, clean, clear vessel and say, fill me. Fill me. 
I need the power and the authority to help me make sense of the baton that is in my hand. But we need first to see the sin that we need to confess. To ask for the forgiveness and to seek the cleansing. And then his power will flow in amazing ways. There are a few things more exciting than turning the vacuum cleaner back on, feeling that suction again, just like it was made to be. There are a few things more exciting than knowing the cleansing, knowing the cleansing in our hearts and feeling the power that you were supposed to live with and under. Anyone know what I'm talking about? To wake up and go, I'm alive today. Because the Spirit of God is flowing through my being. And all the rubbish is moved out of the way. I'm forgiven, but I'm also cleansed. John's going to come and lead us in worship. And we're going to use this time to begin to respond. We need to think about where the Spirit needs to forgive us and cleanse us. We need to think about uh, where we need to ask God's Spirit to sweep away the crowd that his power and his authority might flow in new and fresh ways. Let's just use this time uh, to respond, and then I'll, perhaps I'll lead us in a few moments' time.